This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go to Island Life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Good morning, beautiful people on this Louisiana Saturday morning. And it is an absolutely fantastic kind of Saturday morning for a lot of different reasons. We got the, the Cajuns, they're getting ready for the big game against UL Monroe Senior Night. Make sure you go out there and pay tribute to a lot of those guys. Possibly some of the greatest group of seniors that have ever laced up a pair of cleats in the history of Cajuns football. Why do I say that? Well, because they're one of the winningest groups of all time. Seriously, go look at their win-loss record and tell me that ain't for true. Now, obviously, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! And, of course, I appreciate you listening in, in the litany of ways you can, be it through the 1037 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, smart speakers like Amazon Alexa, Google Home, or even that tower of power that is the FM dial. And, of course, we're talking about 1037 The Game on the FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. And I always say, we've got two hours and we've got a lot of things to get to. And I think that's an absolute understatement this week. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. You're damn right we got the time, 10 a.m. to noon, and of course, if you want to call up, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111, and there's so much in terms of talking points, and we'll get to a lot of it, a lot more of the college side of things, especially when it comes to the two programs you know, you love, and we know you want to hear about them. I've got some thoughts about what's going on with both of those programs, but we'll table that for now because we've got some time to get to them i want to isolate this segment to get down to brass tacks and what's causing all this on a louisiana saturday morning and talk about those new orleans saints what we saw this past thursday and some realizations that i've made with your saturday sports sermon the famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. And I've been thinking about this since the Jameis Winston injury. And with everything going on, the Saints team has had so many injuries. I feel like it's a mash unit right now with the New Orleans Saints. 
And to a certain extent, I think they're also paying for a lot of different things in 2021. The post-Drew Brees era. Kind of the way they've been handling the free agency and handling their salary cap. The Loomisnomics. Maybe the chickens are coming home to roost by Boucher. And we're questioning a lot of stuff. But I think I'm starting to come to this realization that this team right now is mid. Seriously. This offense with Trevor Simeon. Mid. They're middle of the road. He's a quarterback that has problems running. The star running backs are the only thing keeping this thing competitive without Winston. In the last few games, you haven't had Alvin Kamara. Thursday night, you didn't have Mark Ingram. And then your wide receiver core, it looks similar to what those 79 years were before Michael Thomas came around, where there's not a whole lot of guys that you can just say, hey, I absolutely trust you. Then you have Deontay Harris. He's out for the, potentially for the next three games if this appeal doesn't go through. I don't think it will. And then you have an offensive line that's pretty decent. Thank goodness you do, because the offensive line is the only good thing about this team besides Blake Gillikin. Can't kick. You can hardly get any offense going without Alva Kamara. And then, obviously, I thought of the offensive line. Unless Teron Armstead is hurt, which is pretty much all the time, and you kind of overpaid for some of those offensive linemen to stick around. And again, that goes back to the Lumistomic stuff. It You had to pay some of those guys some big money contracts to keep them around. But it's going to hurt you down the road. Because you're going to want... Because Let's be honest. Cesar Ruiz, you've got him. You've got Eric McCoy, two guys who are young. And deals are going to be coming up in the next two to three years. Do you really think they're going to want wanting to be just franchise tagged? We only have one franchise tag. So it's going to be tough to keep some of those guys around, some of those young pups around. Because once you get to that nut in terms of the actual payday, you uh, get to the pay window, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to keep those guys around. And then, of course, we get to the $40 million man, Taysom Hill, who is one of the two man crushes Sean Payton has on the Saints roster. He was active on Thursday night, didn't play a single down, but he was injured. He apparently had a, had a foot injury. Maybe it's the same thing that Aaron Rodgers has with his COVID toe or whatever he called it. With his toe injury where he was showing everybody his toe and his feet. It's weird. I, 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 I've been trying to get that mental image out of my brain, but I can't. And I get preparing for a worst-case scenario, but let's say hypothetically you lose Simeon for the game and then Hill further injures his foot. Then you're kind of put with both hands tied behind your back and you have somebody like Ian Book on the active roster. And that's not what Sean Payton wants. He's, he wants to protect the young man out of Notre Dame. But let's let's be really honest here with each other. He has no business being on an NFL field right now, if ever. I still think he's Garrett Grayson 2.0, and you can't make me think otherwise until I see this. And then we also, I also got to think that the fact this team has just, I have a conspiracy theory. They secretly practice at the Greenbrier because those same issues from those lean years, injuries popping up left, right, and sideways have happened. And if Hill isn't healthy, then why the hell did you drop the big contract for him over the last week? And it makes me continue to believe that this team, especially on the offensive side, is mid. 
The defense the last few weeks has been wildly They've been wildly mid. I can't just emphasize that enough. Cam Jordan, I love him. Absolutely amazing guy. Probably going to be in the Saints ring of honor when it's all said and done. I don't think he's going to get his jersey retired. I think that distinction is going to obviously belong to one Drew Brees. He hasn't been the same guy we've seen in the past. Demario Davis, his level of play isn't up to par. And then there's Marshawn Lattimore, who only seemingly gets up for playing against Mike Evans and the Tampa Bay Bucks. After Winston went down a few weeks ago, I kept saying that I trusted the Saints because of the fact, because of the fact that all you need is a good game manager at quarterback because this defense is good to great. They have a lot of talent there. Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, even to a certain extent, Marcus Davenport is playing so much better. And it really... To a certain extent, paid off to draft Peyton Turner for that reason, that reason only. Because Peyton Turner started to become the new Marcus Davenport and be injured every other game. And it's like, it makes you wonder how much was that first round pick worth at the end of the day. I understand it was a late first round, so maybe it doesn't hurt you nearly as much. But it's still a bit of a train wreck in that perspective. But you have those guys and they aren't playing up to snuff. That's where we're at right now. You're sitting at four straight losses with six weeks left in the season. You still have an outside shot of breaking in to the playoffs. A lot like somebody sneaking into the fridge after Thanksgiving in the middle of the night trying to get some late night dessert. That said, they have to improve. Because outside the Jets, there are no sure things. And I mean no sure things to try and get into the postseason. It's easier said than done, and right now the road doesn't get any easier. Next week, you have the Dallas Cowboys, and then you got to play the rest of your division one more one more time, which honestly, I like the way the schedule shaked out because of the fact you didn't have to play two teams, uh, the same team twice in like a three-week span or something like that. So the next, like, let's see, six games. Cowboys, Jets, Buccaneers, Dolphins, Panthers, Falcons. The way this team has been playing, I think at best they have a three and three shot. They've got to get three out. Of, they got to split those six games, and even then, that doesn't guarantee you a seat at the table. That it's not like the old days, seven to nine. That's not going to guarantee you a seat at the table because there's a lot of teams that are still in front of you and have a lot of football left to be played. The Dallas Cowboys, it feels like they're going to run away with the NFC East right now. The NFC West, it's still anybody's game, relatively speaking. The Rams are a little bit down. The 49ers have a chance of getting that second wild card spot. Don't forget about them. You've got the Green Bay Packers. They're going to hold dominion over the NFC North. The NFC South feels like it's Tampa Bay's to lose at this point. But you're also staring up the Carolina Panthers, who could also take another wild card spot as well right now. They're 5-6. and six. You've got to step your game up, Saints, in the next six games. And if you go three and three, you're eight and nine. And eight and nine, I think, probably gets you a seat at home in mid-January. Because that's what this team is right now. They are the epitome of mid. Mid! 
and they're middle of the road. I can't say that enough. The way they've been playing. And I'm hoping things get better in 2022. Maybe go get something like a Russell Wilson, but you have to give up a King's Ransom to get him. Maybe you, you re-sign Jameis Winston and he stays 100% healthy. And he has a phenomenal season. He becomes the new guy at QB. Because honestly, the QB class is thin. Hell, I'd say the quarterback class for this year is pretty mid. And it's media. I mean, to a certain extent, it's mediocre. And it's not necessarily the biggest draft class of all time, like last year's was. And mind you, last year's quarterback class hasn't panned out worth a damn. So all that said, there's still a chance for this team to make the postseason, but they have to turn it around and turn it around quickly. Because once you get past December 19th, you've got. Probably a, it's not a gauntlet, but you got the Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football. Monday Night Football the next week, you play the Miami Dolphins. That could be anybody's game. And I'm amazed that's a Monday Night game, and that's not like a 12, a high noon contest. But again, I don't book these things. Then you got the Carolina Panthers with their sharp teeth and claws and Cam Newton back and better than ever. It's crazy how much he's like gotten better, and this team has gotten better with him there. And then you have the Atlanta Falcons. Let's be honest. I think, I think right now I'd say the Cowboys game is a loss. I understand the Cowboys are on a skid, but I don't think the Saints team can overcome a lot of their issues on offense to beat the Dallas Cowboys. Then you have the Jets. You lose to the Jets, you might as well just pack it in the rest of the year. I understand that Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis never tank. And to a certain extent, it's worked out. You've gotten... Some of the best players in recent history by having those seven and nine years. Now he makes you wonder, is the number now going to be eight and nine? A Sean Payton-led team has never had a season where they weren't seven and nine. Like seriously, go look at the history books. It's impressive to see the consistency this team has had under Sean Payton. They've never had a season below seven and nine since two thousand and six. Two thousand six. Mind you, this team looked like a Jim Hazlitt or as Kevin Foote said, Mike Ditka type team. And I have to wholeheartedly agree with them on that front. It was without a doubt the most disgusting thing I had seen in a long time. Seeing that team just underperform against the Buffalo Bills. And at the beginning of the year, I said that was going to be a game to keep an eye on. That said, I sure didn't expect to see the team look the way they did in that contest. But we'll save some of the more Saints conversation later. We have Ross Jackson on at 1130. We'll go ahead and get into the preps conversation because high school football, it's nearing the end of the road. And some teams, it's the end of the line in the Acadiana area. But there is a bright side here. And that is some of those teams in the area. They're playing into next week or two weeks' time for a state championship. We'll give you an idea what the Acadian area teams did and also some quick takeaways from Friday Night Football last night. We'll be back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037 Thegame.com. 
Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a fantastic Saturday morning. We got Scott Rabley. He'll be coming on in about eight or nine minutes, give or take a few, after we kind of get through what happened last night in the Acadiana area, and there was a lot of stuff to break down. And let's go ahead and get to it right about now with a look back at last night. Let's go ahead and get that sounder rolling. For one of the last times we'll be able to do that this year. I know the football night indicated in a post-game show wrapped up with in a nice little bow last night, but we still got some high school football in the Acadiana area. Still plenty of local flair. So let's get to that right now. And we start off with the Acadiana High Reckon Rams in Class 5A, and they continue to make their road to the Dome look more and more impressive. Again, this is a team that last year, or excuse me, at the beginning of the year, struggled in non-district play. And they rolled to a 42-14 win over Parkway. What's going on in Rue de Bellier is pretty darn special. So I can't wait to see what they get. Are they going to do when they take on Ponchatoula next Friday for a shot at the Dome? It was absolutely great to see. Meanwhile, another team that made the Final Four over in Class 4A, Westgate ekes out a win over Northwood Shreveport 34-32. So now they'll be taking on the top-seeded Edna Carr, a runner-up in the state title game last year, and a continuously interesting team when it comes to the postseason. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Endicar won 33-7 over George Washington Carver. So that's part of the Final Four in Class 4A. Class 3A, there were three teams represented in the Final Four matchups of the quarterfinals. And only two remain. Church Point beat West Feliciana 28-14. St. Martinville beat Lutcher 57-42, a absolute barn burner and a half. Union Parish beat Abbeville 45-6. So we'll talk about some of that stuff in a few, but Abbeville's big season comes to a sudden halt. Manny beat Rose Pine in Class 2A action. You also had Jonesboro Hodge beat Franklin, the only Acadiana area representative in Franklin. They are out Jonesboro Hodge advances in a really fun ball game. And then there were three in class, excuse me, the select semifinals playing last night. Edie White ends the high school career of one of the best to do it for the Cougars, and that is Walker Howard. 31 21. Edie White advances. And this time in two weeks. You'll see Edie White and U High square off at Cajun Field. And then probably the hottest ticket in all the area, Lafayette Christian Academy steamrolled Newman 49-7. to So that was what happened in the Acadian area. I'll kind of quickly run through what happened 
across the state and just look at some of those semifinal matchups that are now locked in. You had a double overtime battle between Zachary and West Monroe, and Zachary came out the victor 37-34. And they'll be taking on Destrahan, who beat Rustin 24-10. Again, Ponchatoula, Acadiana on the other side of the bracket. How about if we see Zachary against Acadiana High for the state title in two weeks' time? That'd be a hell of a main event, I would say that much. Edna Carr, George Washington Carver. Edna Carr got the win 33-7. They'll be taking on Westgate. Warren Easton beat Bell Chase 63-7. The other local representative in Class 4A, Cecilia, they lost to Neville 41-7. So it looks to be very much a battle of the Blue Bloods in the Final Four. Meanwhile, Westgate's kind of sneaking in there like Joe Pesci and the Lethal Weapon posters from back in the day. If you remember that movie poster, you know what I'm talking about. Meanwhile, we got to get to the Class 3A semifinal. Sterlington taking on Church Point. Sterlington beat Madison Prep 40-34 in OT. St. Martinville beat Lutcher 57-42. And they'll be taking on Union Parish, who steamrolled Abbeville. Manny advancing. They'll be taking on Avoyles Parish, who won 46-28. A meet beat General Trask 20-2. They'll be taking on Jonesboro Hodge. In Class 1A, Logansport beat Basile 44-14. Oak Grove beat West St. John 34-6. So it's Logansport, Oak Grove in the state semifinals. Haynesville shuts out Grand Lake 17-0. Homer rolls past White Castle 40-6. And then in Division 1, you've got Catholic High to beat St. Paul's 29-28. They'll be facing off against Brother Martin. Who beat excuse me, Jesuit, who beat Brother Martin 28 to 10. So the Blue Jays and the Bears in the state finals in two weeks at Yeoman Stadium. Mentioned earlier, Edie White U High at Cajun Field on December 11th. Then you have LCA. They beat Newman 49-7. They'll be taking on St. Charles, who beat Notre Dame 17-13. So yeah, that's something that's gonna be fun to watch with those two in New Orleans. The other game coming to the Acadiana area is Southern Lab, who beat St. Fred 33-0. Excuse me. I don't know why I was thinking 70. 33-0. And then you have Watchdog Christian beat Calvary Baptist in overtime by the score of 40-37. So we got Watchdog Christian, Southern Lab, E.D. White, and U-High at Cajun Field in two weeks. That should be a lot of fun for the state championship in select some quick takeaways before we get Scott Rabelais on the program. Abbeville, their legendary season came to an end, and they knew this would be their toughest test yet, more because of Trey Holly, one of the top-rated running backs in the entire state of Louisiana. But that wasn't the case. Because it was Jaquarius Donald who imposed his will, all 200 pounds of him, imposed his will on the Wildcat defense. But again, this was a great season for Abbeville, and I hope this thing can kind of keep rolling. They brought it all season long, and in terms of a million parish teams, they get a gold star for all their efforts and hope to see the same next year. And also hear the same on 106.3 Radio Lafayette with the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week. The Acadian High Wrecking Rams, they continue to amaze in the postseason, handling Parkway. And again, they're one win away from another trip to the Dome, and they continue to impress because, again, going back to the way the season started, 
It wasn't looking that way. This thing turned around real quick. They ran through 3-5-A like a buzzsaw, as they always do, and they head into the postseason with so much momentum. Church Point, they're about to make it back to the Dome, it looks like. The Bears, they're back in town. They got past West Feliciana. Not thrashing them, but it's solid nonetheless. They'll be taking on Sterlington next Friday, basically making a long trek about three hours north, damn near to Arkansas. Like, this is... I keep saying Arkansas South when I refer to places like Monroe and whatnot, but no, this is damn near literally on the border of Arkansas. Meanwhile, Ryan Antoine and what the Westgate Tigers have done has been amazing. Eight and two in the regular season and a district title to boot. They made it to the final four of Class 4A. That said, they've got a tough opponent this Friday in state runner-up in blue blood in terms of the classification Edna Carr. And if they make it past them, they've got to play either Warren Easton or Neville. This is going to be a fun next two weeks in Class 4. Good luck to the Tigers out in the Barry. One last note, though. The Knights, they steamroll the Greenies. It was the most highly anticipated matchup in the area, if not the entire state. Zachary West Monroe, especially the end result, has a lot to say about that. This was the Knights welcoming Arch Manning and the Greenies, and apparently Peyton Manning was there and out there just does not want to be bothered by a single soul. That's just his prerogative. I think he's very much kind of the guy that likes to stay quiet and keep away from people. And he saw that team get steamrolled by the Knights. And again, this program has always been a team that's dominant in whatever division they're in in terms of the select playoffs. They steamrolled through Division 4 on a regular basis. They're looking for five straight state championships before they make the jump up in competition, not just going to Class 3A. No, 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 no. They're going to Class 4A next year. This is going to be a ton of fun to see how that's going to work out in Division 2. But they've been rolling through divisions the last couple years. Division 4, when they started, then it was Division 3. Now they have a chance to win a fifth straight state title in two weeks at Yeoman Stadium when they play St. Charles. That's all I got when it comes to high school football takes. Let's get to some takes about LSU football with a guy that's covered that team for a long, long time, and that is our guy, Scott Rabelais of The Advocate. Can't wait to talk to him about all this stuff going on with the coaching search and, more importantly, kind of looking at the legacy that Ed Ogeron is leaving behind because I think it's definitely a complicated situation. When you just look at how LSU is going to be looked at, and especially Ed Ogeron, how he's going to be looked at 5, 10, 20 years down the road. We'll get to all that next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom Appreciate you listening in. We've got more next. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. <laughs> You're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 thegamecom and an appropriate bump music coming back is 
LSU and Ed Ogeron, they're at the end of their rope, quite literally, because Ed Ogeron, this will be the final game. Presumably, he'll be coaching for the LSU Tigers. That is if they make it to a bowl game, but that's a different conversation. Maybe down the road after tonight's game against Texas A&M, which you'll hear right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7. The game, Chris Blair and crew are going to start it off at 6, but before that, we had Hunt Palmer out there. For the pregame show starting at four o'clock, him, Marlon Favorite, and I think Brandon Taylor is a part of it this week. But I know it's kind of a little bit of a rotation of guys. But again, that'll be the last game of the regular season coming up. And it's gonna be a fun kind of coaching carousel to keep tabs on. And one guy that's probably kept his finger on the pulse a lot better, a lot more than most. Is who's on the 1037 the game hotline right now? That is Scott Rabley of the Advocate, longtime beat writer and reporter for the LSU Tigers as part of the Advocate. Scott, how you doing? Um, well, how are you guys this morning? I'm doing good, doing good on this Saturday. And I'll start off with an easy one. Is LSU a basketball school now after the way they played against Penn State? Uh they grind had the grind one out, didn't they? They they uh they got it done. I mean, it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't certainly the way they've been playing. But uh, you, you, you got it. It was probably good for them to, to win a game like that. So I, I wouldn't know. College will never be a basketball school, but they got a really good men's team, and they have a, a women's program that everyone expects is going to be on the rise. So uh, maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. But let's get let's get into the football side of things, Scott. And you know, it's amazing to think how much two years changes a whole hell of a lot. With, the, with any program in general, I mean, we go back to Larry Coker, Gene Chizik, the list goes on and on. After you win a national title, the expectation is to get back to that point. But you're two years removed from winning it all, and Ed Ogeron is pl- is coaching his potentially last game of the season of, of his career at LSU. This has a lot more to do than just the play on the field, right? It, it does. I mean, there have been a lot of off-the-field things i think you have to go back to last year when the team uh decided not to practice and they held a protest march across campus to the administration building catching ogeron off guard and he just you know he didn't like it too much and that showed a disconnect from the team and of course you have all the the comments the the sissy blue shirt commented at uh at uh, uh the ucla game and you know talking about dropping a fan who trolled him on his coaching show in the fishing hole and stuff like that but it's, um, it, but I, I still say if he was nine and two going into this game, a lot of that stuff wouldn't matter. Uh, but but he's not, and uh, when you're when you're not, those uh, those problems get amplified. Oh no, I'd agree with you wholeheartedly. It's just so many of those issues could have been talked away and washed away a lot by winning and losing, but uh, winning more games than you lose. But this team potentially is about to have one of the worst. If they lose to, tonight, there's a chance where this team is below 500 for the first time since the pre-Nick Saban era. But the Curly Holman days, Scott, it's amazing to see see how much this thing changes. Not not Curly Holman, the, the Jerry DiNardo era, the tail end of that leading into Saban taking over. Yeah, it was um, uh, the, the Jerry DiNardo uh, year, 99 was the last time they had a, a losing record. And then Saban came and set him off on this unprecedented 20-year run of um, of success that LSU's had. It's been pretty remarkable. Uh, but, uh, you know, so they're 
playing for pride and playing to avoid that losing streak. Of course, we're five and five last year at a self-imposed bowl ban, so their bowl streak ended. Uh, I, I think I think there'll be a lot of pride and emotion for LSU in this game. I, I think they're going to come out and play play for Rojan. I think a lot of his players do like him, and uh, I think in a situation like this, uh, especially with 19 seniors, uh, you know, guys, a lot of guys who came back for a fifth year, I think there's going to be a lot of emotions at play. I think they'll come out strong against a them. Can they finish will be the question, though. You know, they, they came out strong against Auburn and Ole Miss and Arkansas and Alabama, and they lost all those games. Can they come out strong and and, uh, and finish a, a, an upset? That's uh, That remains to be seen. And if they do, what happens at the end? Do they do they carry it or draw off the field? Or, you know, w- you know what happens? Yeah, that's uh, That will be very interesting to watch. You kind of are stealing my notes, Scott, all the way in Baton Rouge. That's, ah. that's, that's kind of where I was going to go next is – What's the biggest key for LSU to kind of win this game tonight when they take on A&M at Tiger Stadium to where we see that storybook ending where Coach O gets sent off and carried off the field reminiscent of Les Miles after 2015? Mind you, there's no chance that we see Ed Ogeron come back as the head coach in 2022, a lot like what we saw with Les Miles where he got an extended stay of execution after the whole Jimbo Fisher thing kind of fell through all the way back in 2015. No, there's not. And and, and certainly this, I'm, I'm skeptical as a lot of people are that he would coach a bowl game if LSU could get into one you know, with a six and six record uh, for them to win tonight. I think they've got to, um, they've got to generate some offense. I mean, I think the defense will do a, a decent job. You know, I don't think Texas A&M has got a, has got a, you know, a, just a juggernaut kind of offense, but their defense is very, very good. I mean, they held Auburn to, to three points. They got to generate some offense. They got to do better in the red zone. I mean, last week's game, yeah, they won against ULM, but 27-14 with one missed field goal. It could have been 30 to 14. That wasn't uh, overly impressive. Uh, so that means uh, connecting on the in, in the passing game. Max Johnson's got to be accurate. Got to get rid of the ball. Not take sacks. Not not deal with our negative yardage. Ty Davis Price actually has a chance to be a thousand yard rusher this year. It's kind of amazing considering what an uh, anemic start the LSU running game got off to this year. But he's He's been a trooper. He really has. They're carrying the, the bulk of the load for, for the running game. He's got to – it would help if he had a, a 100-yard night uh, you know, to help LSU's cause and, and, and just, uh, you know, just get some points. Just get, get in the end zone, get in the red zone, and, and get in the end zone, not, not just settle for field goals or end up punting a lot. Because if, they, if LSU doesn't score in the 20s, uh, I don't think they have much of a chance in this one. But, I, but I, like I said, I think they will come out and, and give an emotional effort Start strong. Wouldn't surprise me if they get the lead on AM first, but got to hold it. They got to keep producing throughout the game. It's all right now with Scott Rabley of the Advocate. Now let's get back to Ed Ogeron, just the coaching himself. And, you know, one of the questions that I've just had for a while is why exactly was it a situation where Ed Ogeron kind of finishes out the season versus out and out firing him, heading after that bye week, and you kind of have a situation akin to what we saw, I mean, after the Florida game, it all came out from Ross Dellinger, one of your former co-workers and colleagues. He was absolutely nailing on the head and, and with the situation. But it's like, you look at what happened with TCU. TCU gave Gary Patterson, a guy who helped bring that program to the Big 12 in the first place, he, they gave him the opportunity to finish out the season. He just said, nah, I'm heading out. But why was there an option to say, hey, let's just go ahead and let you finish the season out? I think with Ogeron, um, you know, they, it was kind of a complicated party. Like, they don't want to just you know, get rid of him or try to fire him for cause. You know, they, they have to try to uh, where he can 
he's not going to come back and they have to go to court or something like that because of all the LSU's off the field issues, the title line, that could be a that could be a major problem. So I think um, I think they decided like, there's no one else on the team and um, coach the team. Um, the, uh, like when Ed, Ed was the interim coach in 2016, well, he was a natural choice to replace Les Miles. But uh, now it, it, there was no one else really who could do that. So um, he uh, it's, a, okay, it's a, an effort to try to salvage what they could of the season. They decided to go ahead and, and let him stay on and coach and figured that was the, the lesser of, of two evils, I guess, I guess you'd say. Um, hasn't been a great – hasn't worked out too great. Hasn't been terrible either. I mean, I think their effort in a lot of these games has been, has been pretty good. But um, it, it was just kind of like there's just no one else to, to turn to and – you know, go ahead and let him finish it out, and he agreed to it. Yeah, it was all part of this uh, this big intricate deal to uh, still pay him the almost seventeen million dollars that they're going to pay his buyout. And you know, one of the other big things, Scott, is obviously what happens with the coaching search right now. I know, obviously, we'll get to Lincoln Riley and the rumors about him, but just looking at Scott Woodward, he we talked about it earlier with women's basketball hiring Kim Mulkey. That was a home run hire. Jay Johnson, right now, that looks like a home run hire. But when you think about LSU football and just football in general across the country, that's your big moneymaker for colleges. Is this going to be the most important hire for Scott Woodward and be the biggest thing that kind of has him sit there as possibly being one of the best hires that LSU has ever had outside of Nick Saban in the early 2000s? Because I think that's kind of changed. That changed the whole perspective of LSU football. But I think now – Scott Woodward has to make this home run higher, right? When uh, LSU hired Les Miles in 2005, Skip Bourbon was the athletic director, and he told Les Miles, "My my legacy will be defined by by what you do by 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 this hire." And that's Skip Bourbon saying that the guy who won five national championships as LSU's baseball coach transformed the athletic program. Um, so you know it's true for Scott Woodward if it was true for for Skip Bourbon. Um, I think Skip probably was overselling that a little bit, but it's definitely true for, for Woodward. Look, it's great to hire Kim Mulkey, and that was amazing. And that was, you know, this is pretty unprecedented to get a coach, to a national championship winning coach to leave before she's been established to, to go somewhere else. It's, it was uh, everyone's very impressed with her with Jay Johnson and what he's been able to do. And the LSU baseball coach, uh, number one recruiting class in the country, but this is the defining moment. This is this is, and Scott has wanted to do this. I don't think he was looking for an excuse to, to fire Trump necessarily, but he's an LSU guy. He's a Baton Rouge guy. He uh, he's he's loved this school and this program his whole life, and I think he to have this opportunity is something that um, he's not shying away from, and he's not. Uh, not upset that he's got to do it. I think he's 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 embraced it, and I think it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely the biggest. Like if it, if it doesn't work out, whoever he hires, it's going to um, impact him negatively as well. You know, it, you know. Sometimes the, a football coach goes, the AD goes too, who hired him. So um, it's not looking good for Scott Strickland at Florida. You know, I'm sure for some people over there, having hired Dan Mullen and having to fire him now. So yeah, it's it's uh, everything for Scott Woodward's legacy. He's the big game hunter. He's the guy who, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's like, okay, you, you did this, Scott, at Washington. You brought in Chris Peterson when people said no one you know, said he would never leave Boise State, and you brought in Jimbo Fisher, a national championship winning coach from Florida State to Texas A&M. 
Now the expectation, um, realistic or not, fair or not, is for him to make a similar splash hire at LSU with this staff. It's almost a no-win situation, but it can be uh, if he uh, gets the right guy. I'd have to agree with you. And, you know, obviously the guy that everybody's been talking about is Lincoln Riley because you have Mel Tucker, one of the top candidates. He's no longer in the running. Dave Randa reportedly, again, shout-out to Ross Dellinger. He is reporting that Dave Randa is about to sign a deal to stick around at Baylor, and that makes sense for him. But when it comes to Lincoln Riley, what makes you think that he could very well jump ship from Oklahoma to LSU? Because I think there's a lot of loyalty with that program, and to a certain extent, he's got it made, and he's already coming to the SEC in a few years. So, like, why rush and make it over to LSU? I understand they're gonna they're gonna pay him a boatload of money to do so and and jump ship, but it's like to me, is Lincoln Riley the guy? And what happens if he doesn't take the job? If he says no, what happens after that? Those are two great questions. First of all, why would Lincoln Riley come? Um, he's got a great job at Oklahoma. He's paid very well, seven and a half. I think he gets a retention bonus bump to them up to about eight million this year, seven and a half next year, escalating salaries. You know, that's the whole thing. You know, won the Big Ten, uh, excuse me, the Big Twelve every year, except you know, you know, we'll see if they can get into the Big Twelve championship game with a win tonight against Oklahoma State or not. Uh, can he? Uh, you know, he's been in the playoffs three times, a couple of Heisman Trophy winners. But they've lost in the playoffs every time. And, and the only thing to me, and I, I don't know Lincoln Riley's mind, I've never heard this, and to, to me it's like, what would make him leave? Well, what would be his motivation? The motivation could be that, well, I've played three SEC teams in the playoffs and they beat me every time. And the last time was LSU, and they really crushed us. <laughs> they had a Heisman finalist themselves, and Jalen Hurts playing quarterback for them. And it was no, a no contest. They have not been able to get the, the great offensive players and the great defensive players at Oklahoma. And, and look, I'd be I'd be saying to myself, it's not going to get any easier. Yeah, we dominated the Big 12, and yeah, Texas has still not gotten his act together, and, and TCU's fallen off, and Texas Tech, you know, was great for Mike Lee under Mike Leach for a few years, but they're not anymore. And Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State's uh, you know, really good this year, but and you know, but it's it's their league still. But it's not going to get any easier for him once they join the SEC, and. Uh, you know, is Oklahoma going to be closer to or farther away from playoff condition? Now, you know, you go to a 12-team playoff, well, you got to see three or four, five SEC teams in the playoff every year, probably. But based on where it is now, LSU's won three national titles and played for a fourth since Oklahoma won its last one back in 2000. I think those would be things that, that weigh on me, plus the money that we're hearing. A lot of people are saying, and, and we're hearing too, could be a $100 million deal, eight years, nine years, ten years, whatever. So that, that's a big factor. If not Lincoln, the other great question. If not Lincoln Riley, who I don't know, because it seems like everyone else is uh, either said I'm staying, or they're getting a new deal worked out. You know, Mel Tucker, Dave Aranda, as you said, the reports we, we've heard. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell comes to mind, but then you, you know, is it is it Mark Stoops at, uh, at Kentucky? Is it Mario Cristobal at Oregon? That's a name that that I've heard. Uh, is it Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator at Alabama? It's, it's going to be a good coach. LSU can be successful going forward with more than one coach. I don't think it just has to be Lincoln Riley. But it's not going to be the hire that everyone's hoping it, it to be, it's, you know, if, uh, if it's any of those guys besides Lincoln Riley or, or Dave Aranda somehow. And, and, you know, Jimbo Fisher, too. We've, we've heard you know, people have said Scott Woodward is, is not going to keep trying you know, Jimbo Fisher or he was going to keep going until maybe – until he got to the end, you know, with with Lincoln Riley, um, 
I, I don't think Jimbo's going to leave based on what he said. But uh, you never know these coaching searches. You never know until the guy is standing at the podium. Yep. Even then, people might remember uh, Pat Murphy, the Alabama softball coach, coming to LSU and then turning around a couple of days later and going back to Alabama where he's still coaching. So it's all it's all very fluid until I guess that guy's been here for a couple of weeks and you say, okay, he's really staying. Exactly. It's nothing's official till you see the the John Hancock and the ink officially dries right. on the contract, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the game night. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. I always appreciate Scott Rabelais for joining the program. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, pass due for one, and the wrap of the hour with my five favorite picks to click in terms of college football in the NFL. Last week, 5-0. and oh. I'll just go ahead and say that, then we'll get to the picks for this week's contest next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Not a whole lot of time left. Let's get into the picks to click for this week. Georgia Southern got them covering against App State. 24.5 points spread. I feel like that's absurdly high. Take the over in Auburn, Alabama, 57 points set as the bar. Over under, I think that they'll jump that bar, 57. UL Monroe covers against Louisiana. That's a plus 22-point dogs they are on the road. I think they cover because that 22-point spread is going to be a lot more competitive than anything else in, in this week's college football action in terms of the lopsided spreads. Cleveland covers against Baltimore, plus four. The NFL spreads are razor thin. And without Baker healthy, I think the Browns cover a four-point spread, even without Baker healthy. Seattle, I got them straight up on Monday Night Football against Washington. How are the Seahawks dogs against the Washington football team? I'll never know. Saw so go ahead and pick Russell Wilson. Dangerous. And I see this team getting past the Washington football team with a nice win to wrap up this week. Again, last week I was 5-0 at Arkansas covering against Alabama. Cajun straight up against Liberty. Over in the UAB-UTSA game. Chicago covered against Baltimore. And then I had Cincinnati straight up against Las Vegas, and that one paid off as well. Definitely a damn good feeling to cover and get a perfect Five in a week. Hopefully, we can keep that train rolling into the end of November and, more importantly, into December. Maybe once that online sports betting and more of those uh, sports books open up across the area, I might be able to start making some money with these picks and stacking it up and going to the moon. Because, as Billy Napier says, scared money don't make money. And we're back after this hour two next. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go out of life out here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! 
Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to hour two of two of Under the Dome with CD. Hopefully you're having a good one and it's definitely a beautiful Saturday morning. It's definitely football weather in the true definition of football weather. Not like what's going on and about to get started with the big game where it's snowing, it's cold, as all get out. No, no, no. I'm talking the weather going on right now in the state of Louisiana where it's 58 degrees, absolutely clear skies. And around kickoff, I know it's supposed to rain in a little bit, but it's going to still be pretty decent weather. And, of course, it never rains inside the beautiful First South Farm Credit Studios where we're coming to you live. Here, this, worldwide. And, of course, appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through 1037thegame.com worldwide, the mobile app. And I definitely say also appreciate you if you're listening in via your smart speakers, Amazon, Alexa, Google Home, whatever. However you listen to us, because there's a bunch of different ways. Or better yet, through the Tower of Power that is 103.7 FM. He is the Tower of Power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man. And the man is right here, and we are ready for another hour of great sports talk. And let's kind of get down to brass tacks on the LSU coaching search because there are rumor innuendo about one man in particular. And that is Lincoln Riley. Is Lincoln Riley the guy? We talked about Scott Rabley earlier. And I think we're both in lockstep and I got into conversations with other people. Again, not people that have an out and out knowledge of what's really going on. But I'm seriously thinking why would Lincoln leave he's got pretty much free range there's no reason why he can he has to leave he can disagree with me 337-706-0111 unless backing up the Brinks truck is absolutely going to change everything for him because again there's a lot I think there's a lot of loyalty to Oklahoma I could be completely off base with this because I don't cover Oklahoma, but I know for, again, you got to remember, going back to what we saw with that team just a few years ago, I think it was a 2016 was when Bob Stoops during the summer retired. Pretty much out of, like, shocked everybody. I think maybe even 2017. I, I, a lot of years have since kind of meshed together, but I think it was the 2017 season whenever Lincoln Riley took over for Bob Stoops. He has everybody's blessing because it's one thing to take over. Let's say, for instance, Paul Maneri, over the summer, he announces his retirement. LSU hires Jay Johnson. Jay Johnson had to get the handshake and get the, the stamp of approval. That Again, that's my point of view. He had to go get the stamp of approval from Paul Maneri and Skip Bertman. Whoever's going to take over the job has to know that. It's very tough to fill the holes and fill the shoes of somebody like Paul. And 
LSU at the end of the day, it's still a good old boy network, at least somewhat, especially when it comes to baseball. Football is a little bit different, especially with the new sheriff in town. He's going after the biggest name possible. And Lincoln Riley absolutely has every opportunity to jump ship and be a lot like Lex Luger whenever he joined WCW and make that big surprise. As soon as the Big 12 championship game is over, because LS, my biggest thing with LSU is they have to get this guy in-house as soon as possible. Because if they don't, if they don't, there is going to be a absolute, like, bedlam, pun unintended. That's in my mind. I think there's going to be something going on if it's not the guy. If it's not Lincoln Riley. I think he's the guy. Everybody else is saying the exact same things. Lincoln Riley is probably going to have that job sewed up. Now you kind of wonder who else is left if that doesn't work. It's tough. It's tough to think outright who's going to take over that job, if not him. That's going to satiate the fans because we heard our guy, Scott Rabelais, mentioned earlier, Bill O'Brien. That's not going to do a whole lot. Mario Cristobal, while he's gotten that team to play really well this year, they've been great. It's going from the Pac-12 to the SEC. I don't know if it's going to work out. Why do I say that? Go look at one of your guys that's currently in the SEC now. Mississippi State and their head coach, Mike Leach, came over from the Pac-12, his last stop. Yes, he spent some time over Texas Tech, but things aren't necessarily that great right now with him. Can they get better? I think so. But Mississippi State isn't LSU. And I said last week, I'm wondering how much Title IX plays into all this. Does a coach want to deal with the headache that could potentially be coming with this investigation? And who's to say a conversation doesn't change whenever it comes to that? How much of that is a deal breaker? That's kind of my like trillion dollar question. I'm absolutely just blown away by how much people are really thinking that LSU is just absolutely going to get Lincoln Riley. People said the same thing whenever they were going to get Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's sticking around. He just got paid a massive deal to stay as the head coach of the Spartans after only a couple years. He was one of the hottest names everybody was wanting. And it didn't work out. Dave Miranda, the other name everybody wanted. Apparently, reports are coming out from Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated. When Ross says it, I can usually take it almost as gospel. Take it to the bank. So for me, it's it's going to be interesting. 
because again, I think the loyalty that Mike that excuse me, Mike Leach, Lincoln Riley has to Oklahoma plays a big role. Bill O'Brien or Mike Stoops, Mike Stoops, listen to me, Mark Stoops, if either of those two are the next head coach, Scott Woodward's reputation takes a huge hit. It has to be a big hire. And we'll get to Billy Napier in a few minutes. Don't worry. We'll get to him in the next segment. I've, I want to isolate these two because they're two very, very different stories. And obviously they involve two very different teams. But Mark Stoops could very well work out extremely well. But the initial reaction is going to be you went with, like, plan E. Because you couldn't get anybody else to come over. You couldn't fork over the dinero to get a guy to come over. That's what it's going to sound like. It's going to be, to fans, somewhat reminiscent of 2016. When you missed out on... Tom Herman. The year before that, you missed out on Jimbo Fisher for one reason or another. You missed out on those guys. Fast forward to now, you're kind of in a similar situation. And it's so important to get these guys in before National Signing Day, which is coming up very soon. Like, I cannot, I keep saying it because it's true. The class of 2022 has to get in as soon as possible. You've got to make sure those guys are locked in. And if you don't have a coach or if you don't even have a relative idea of who it is and who the coach is, you are not going to get a single bit of information. You're going to be sitting there with your pants down and not a single guy is going to want to come over. It's going to be tough to get a lot of those guys that are on the fence because they know it's going to be a whole new regime I think, I'll just say this right now. I think outside of Corey Raymond and Mickey Joseph, they're all gone. They all they all better have resumes ready to go and send them off to Indeed.com. That's how quickly this thing has, they have to make these decisions. Because whoever takes over, if it's a Lincoln Riley, I guarantee you he's going to have a whole hell of a lot more influence to take over that job. And get his guys in there again that's another thing when it comes to coaching searches and coaching hires how much control are you willing to give now if lincoln riley says no i've i've dreamt up this scenario let's just say tonight after lsu plays a&m and a&m wins ed ozron sulks off into the night knowing that LSU has their first losing record since 1999. Jimbo Fisher's built something nice at A&M. Jimbo Fisher also has a good relationship with Scott Woodward. I wonder if there's some seedy part, like a boiler room, if there's a boiler room conversation that happens, if there's not a text that gets gets sent, to Jimbo's number from some burner account, some burner phone that Scott Woodward has. Again, this is all hypothetical. I have no idea if this is actually going to happen. If it does, I think I might need to figure out what the lottery numbers are for next Monday. Because I could probably wind up winning a ton of money 
but that's a different conversation. So here's how I see it happening if you don't get Lincoln Riley. If Lincoln Riley outright says no to you before the A&M game. Scott Woodward, after the A&M game, after A&M wins, he gives a little text and says, hey, meet me at this place. And it's literally nobody knows. He just goes into this, like, seedy area that nobody else goes into. This is isolated area. Nobody else is around. It is just him and Scott Woodward in the dark having the conversation. And I think there's absolutely no chance he doesn't get the offer and take it and run. Yes, he's built something special at A&M, and he's got everything going for him. But if he calls up and he offers him enough, Jimbo Fisher is going to be back in Baton Rouge before you know it. That's kind of where I think about it. It could be completely wrong. I could be completely off base on that front. But there's no reason why LSU doesn't try and at least court Jimbo Fisher and all from the world if Lincoln Riley's kind of not answering your calls, not answering your texts. Got to know how to handle things. And you know that you can't have Mark Stoops or Bill O'Brien be your next head coach because it's going to wind up reflecting bad on you. Because if it fails, you could be very much one of the most hated men in Louisiana at LSU. Just saying. Just saying. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get to the Napier to Florida rumors, and I'll break that down. And also, maybe a word of warning, because obviously, I don't think LSU's given Napier the time of day. Could be wrong. But I've got some thoughts on that and more next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. <laughs> now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world-famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And it's definitely a, a beautiful Saturday morning. Maybe you're out there getting and shopping small businesses on this Saturday. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself. Maybe you're getting some tailgate ready. Hey, more power to you on that front as well. So when it comes to LSU, obviously there's still a lot of questions. There's also a lot of questions concerning Billy Napier because rumors came out earlier this week. And again, rumors are just that. They're not they're non-factual. They're not really a factor when it comes down to it. But I think it's definitely part of the conversation that we need to have is is Billy Napier really going to Florida? Because if he does, that creates a massive hole in the Cajuns' future. Now, I think 
this job is absolutely going to be one of the most sought after in college football this year because there's so much positive going on. And to me, I wouldn't be surprised that this is a Arkansas State type situation. Because if you don't remember, in the early to mid 2010s, before Blake Anderson took over and brought some, you know, stability, then Butch Jones, maybe a little instability, but I think they'll, they'll turn it around before long. Because let's be honest, that program was in a state of flux. Not because they were bad, but because they were really good. And they had coaches that kept kind of going through the turnstile. And it's low-key, you kind of forget how much that program had instability in their coaching staff. And it's not because of a bad thing. It's just the fact that you had guys take bigger opportunities. Hugh Freeze, Gus Malzahn, and Brian Harson. All in a three-year span, it was one-and-done guys. Seriously. So many people just kept kind of going on. And it was just a one-and-done type season. It's a turnstile. Hugh Freeze, he went 10-2, and 8-0 in the conference in 2011. Fast forward, they he's out the door and took over. And he wound up taking over the job at Ole Miss, and obviously some things happened at the end of that era. And now he's back in the coaching conversation again over at Liberty. He's very well could be the next head coach somewhere else. Not in LSU, obviously, because they have enough issues to deal with as it is with Title IX, which, going back to that, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that maybe not coaches don't want to deal with that because that's a federal thing, brother. This isn't an NCAA thing. This ain't a good look. Then you have Gus Malzahn. He takes over. He jumps ship after they fire Gene Chizik after the way that whole thing went down in the post-Cam Newton era. He leaves and returns to Auburn. Then you get Brian Harson to come over, former Longhorns offensive coordinator, and then he splits to go coach at Boise State. Seriously, this has been – that was a state of flux in the – early to mid-2010s, Blake Anderson takes over and brings some stability and like sticks around. Mind you, I mean, Brian Harson just recently took over this left Boise State as well this past season. Now he's the head coach at Auburn. It's crazy how things go. It's, it's almost like a flat circle. That's kind of where it's at with the Cajuns because the Cajuns – job is probably one of the most sought after, especially in the group of five, because you take that job and you kind of continue to build off of that. I think it's a top 25 program right now. I understand they're going to lose a lot of guys, a ton of stars, but you can about imagine the recruiting is going to be pretty easy. It recruits itself. Because look at what they just did. Seriously, look at what they just did and tell me that you wouldn't want to be a part of that team if you were a high school recruit and you were targeted by the Cajuns. I would. But when it comes to Billy Napier in Florida, I've been scratching my head about that all week because it just doesn't fit him. Go look at Florida and the, rep- and the history of head coaches they've had over the last 
like few years, last decade. Let's go ahead and go that route. You had three coaches that did really well with that program. Seriously. In the history of Florida head coaches, you had some really big ones. Obviously, Steve Spurrier is the big dog that everybody's going to talk about for years to come. But you look at that after that, you had Ron Zook, Charlie Strong, Urban Meyer. Obviously, Urban Meyer did some great things. Had some interesting characters on there. We'll just go ahead and leave it at that. But after Urban Meyer, since 2011, you went through Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, and Dan Mullen. Seriously, Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen. All three of those guys did pretty damn well for themselves. Muschamp, SC Coach of the Year in 2012. Jim McElwain got the team to Atlanta. Dan Mullen just last year got the team to Alabama. Got the team to the SEC Championship game and competed against Alabama this season. But a 49, excuse me, a 34 and 15 record apparently is grounds for him to kind of go head out and go do something else. Go coach somewhere else or maybe get out of the coaching game. Jim McElwain, 22 and 12. Now, obviously, the whole manatee thing or whatever it was back in the day, that hurt. That hurt his reputation a lot. And he also just fell apart that last season. So it makes sense. But seriously, Within a few years, you have these coaches. It's a turnstile in the wrong way because you have just poor effort in terms of keeping the train rolling. Mushamp, again, coach of the year in his second season at Florida. Then it, the wheels fell off. He ended up with a 28 and 21 record, 17 and 15 in conference. That alone. Makes you kind of question a lot of things. Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen's the most damning one because I think he had potential. This year was just very strange for the team. And obviously, you fall apart as quickly as you do, and the expectation is you keep going back to Atlanta and you keep beating Georgia. And when you don't do it, it looks bad. But if you're Billy Napier, do you want to go take on that job? Do you really want to be the guy that takes over that program and knows the expectations are incredibly high? I wouldn't. Now a job like Virginia Tech, I think that's more of a speed. That's not a knock against Billy Napier in any way. Don't, t- don't misconstrue this. But I think that Virginia Tech may be more of a speed because it's a smaller town type of vibe. I think that's what Billy Napier likes. And I had the fact that I just feel like he has a golden opportunity to take over Virginia Tech and start making the ACC a little bit more interesting. Because, again, the Clemson, like, there's a chance Dabo Swinney may be going back into the Clemsoning phase of his career. They're, no, they're nowhere sniffing an ACC championship game or the Atlantic division for the first time in what feels like forever. Now you have a golden opportunity, like a golden opportunity to try and make some change in the ACC. It's going to be a weird championship game next week in the ACC 
And there's a chance that the head coach of the Cajuns, if Virginia Tech comes to call, he'd take that offer. But, of course, Jimmy Sexton could be getting a lot more money out of Florida. That said, if he does go to Florida, I'll say this to LSU fans. If he goes to Florida, you miss out on a golden opportunity to have that button-up head coach that changes a program. And if you fail at Lincoln Riley, you fail at a lot of these other guys you're trying to get and you settle for a Mark Stoops or, heaven forbid, a Bill O'Brien, every year LSU plays LSU plays Florida and Billy Napier's head coach, Florida's going to kick your ass every single time. And I'll come on the air the next week and I'll say it. I'll say it now and then I'll say it in perpetuity. If he goes to Florida and LSU loses, and you wonder, why didn't we hire him? Because you were too proud. You were too proud. So I hope Billy Napier, in a sense, gets a job at Florida just so he can beat your ass and you can realize, hey, maybe we shouldn't have been so proud of, oh, we're LSU. We're not going to go get a guy from UL. Maybe you shouldn't have been so proud. Maybe you shouldn't have been thumping your chest. Like, we're LSU. We don't we don't want a team from, in their words, not mine, because I'm going to call them Louisiana, because I went there. And they call them ULL or ULALA. Go to hell with that crap and just suck it up and take a guy like that rather than let him go to Florida. He is, let's be honest, who wants to live in Gainesville, really? With all due respect, Gainesville, Florida. Who wants to go there? Honestly, I'd much rather be making big bucks at LSU and keep the family happy and have them still stay in Lafayette. Again, just my opinion. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We got Ross Jackson coming up in just a few minutes. I'll go ahead and calm down because the fact that you got Billy Napier and you're letting him slip out your fingers, LSU, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. I understand it. Lincoln Riley, if he comes over, great. You're going to want, it's going to be a fun SEC now. SEC West is going to be tons of fun. Especially with whatever's going to happen with Texas and Oklahoma when they jump over to the SEC. That's going to be a lot of fun. So give me give me more fun. And also, give me a new look offense setup over at LSU. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning. I don't watch your name because I'm here with you. And we're talking all things New Orleans Saints right now with our guy, the host of the Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles, and also good friend of the program. Of course, that's Ross Jackson. Ross, how you doing, brother? Hey, brother, doing very well, man. Happy belated Thanksgiving to you. Hope you had a good one. 
I had a pretty good one outside of obviously the the night. I'll say that much because we yeah. we usually do sure. the like at with my family we do Thanksgiving around lunchtime. Then obviously the night is usually kind of back in the day when you used to have Black Friday being on a Thursday. You used to mm-hmm. usually go do that stuff and get that get that out of the way. But obviously things have changed since COVID and whatnot. But when it comes to mm-hmm. Thursday night, that was the most disappointing Saints game I've seen in a good while that's going beyond probably those seven and nine years with the new orleans saints and like between that 2014 16 how disappointing was that performance we saw by the saints because it's it's one thing to kind of just like lose to a team that's better than you because it looked like that obviously the buffalo bills are a damn good team but this was almost like depressing type stuff what we saw on thursday night yeah, I mean, it was it was not what you expected, and, and and certainly, I mean, you know, you have to consider the fact that this is effectively the New Orleans Saints preseason squad that they're having to march out in these games, and and also, I'm not really sure where the expectations were for folks, but I mean, you know, you watched the first half, and I think you had a lot of hope to at least walk out of that game even with a loss, uh, with some dignity, right? Um, I mean, the the defense ended the last four possessions of the first half with two third uh, third down sacks that ended up forcing uh, one punt and ended up forcing one limiting one drive to a field goal and then they came up with back-to-back interceptions uh, as well and so I think you you kind of had hope that okay well the defense is back to uh, back to form and back to what we've seen over the course of the you know first seven games or so of the season. Uh, but then that just didn't end up being the case. I mean, they ended up giving up 30-plus for the second time in this season and the second time in a row uh, after giving up 40 to the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's just not the performance that you expected to see over on the defensive side. The, the offense was going to be very questionable coming into this game um, without you know one of their top two tackles with their third-string quarterback and with their third- and fourth-string running backs there and with their you know pass catchers still being as limited as they are. But to see, you know, this team end up losing 31-6, to you didn't even really get the fourth quarter heroics that you usually get from Trevor Simeon in this one. So, yeah, it was disappointing for sure, especially to happen on a Thanksgiving day like that. I mean, just and think. of course, on a day when they're honoring Drew Brees as well, yeah. of all things. All right, so let's get to the Drew Brees honoring thing because, I mean, obviously he leads the Houdat chant one more time, then he has the halftime kind of honoring him. While that's going on, they're showing like a package on, obviously, you know, like Josh Allen. Like, I understand that you kind of pre plan this stuff, but why don't you pre plan to go ahead and show this thing, if not on NBC, at least, you know, say, hey, we're going to go ahead and show the celebration on Peacock, like they do sometimes when they right. show the halftime shows on, on ESPN Plus for some of the mm-hmm. college games or whatever. Like, go ahead and like shift people if you want them to go see the celebration live. If, if, if you're not able to be there, let him see that because Drew Brees is one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the, of the game, and he's the color commentator for the contest. How can right. you not like you like NBC screwed this up royally, and everybody yeah, who that nation is like absolutely been giving them hell for it. Yeah, big time, and they deserve the hell that they've been getting for it because it was really horribly managed. And you know, the New Orleans Saints they went live on all their social media pages and had it available for everybody to be able to watch, but there was no mention of that in the broadcast. And Tariko, who he himself is such a big part of, you know, the the New Orleans yep. 
Saints story, right? He called the touchdown New Orleans on the the rebirth block punt by Steve Gleason. And, you know, even he was put in a position to where he wasn't even given a script to say, hey, if you want to see Drew Brees being honored, go ahead and check out all the New Orleans Saints social media pages or something to that effect. And didn't even really make mention of where Drew Brees was during halftime. Was just kind of like, well, we're going to do this Josh Allen thing now, and I'm going to do it by myself because Drew Brees isn't here. And there was no real kind of acknowledgement to what was going on uh, for Drew in that moment and for all of the New Orleans Saints fans watching that weren't able to go to the game, that were at home with their families, that are outside of the market, so on and so forth. I get the idea of providing, you know, the New Orleans Saints fans that are in the stadium get the get the experience, and then the Buffalo Bills fans that are watching at home they get the uh, they get the Josh Allen package. I understand kind of that thought process, but I don't agree with it <laughs> at all. I think you still either air the Drew Brees um, ceremony, or you know, as as respect to one of the NFL's best to ever play the position or to play yeah. the game or at least provide the people that are watching at home with where to go so that they can see it. And also, why does it have to be during the game a, a package on Josh Allen? Couldn't that have been a pregame thing? Because let's be honest, I mean, there's, I, there's only yeah. two other games you could talk about on Football Night in America. Why not just go ahead and have that be part of your pregame and run the package on Josh Allen then? It's like it's it's yeah, mind-boggling. Or- some other week that yeah exactly are playing. Like, there was no reason specifically to air that for that particular week right they could have repackaged that and used that for you know the week after thanksgiving or or something along those lines or you know crafted it around another holiday or something like that like it, it, it just all of it was very uh very odd uh or just played in the local markets i mean i don't know it was it was very strange the way that it was handled and then to not even really acknowledge it until while it was happening was the other part that was very strange to me. I mean, beyond throwing to it or anything like that, there wasn't even any mention of the fact that, I mean, you could hear the cheers behind Tariko the entire time that he was trying to talk and introduce the uh, the video package, but no real acknowledgement of what was presently happening in the Superdome at that time. It was, it was very tone deaf, but we're talking about, you know, repackaging and whatnot, but obviously one of the big headlines this week was the four-year, $40 million extension for Taysom Hill. And he was active for Thursday night, but apparently Mike Tirico, speaking of him, he mentioned the fact during the broadcast that Taysom Hill had a foot injury. It's like, why keep him active then if he's hurt? And he's you know he's not going to play. And then you give him this four-year, $40 million extension, it, just, it makes you scratch your head a lot. Yeah, it's, it's it's all really strange, the whole Taysom Hill situation over the course of the last two games. And, and then the four-year, $40 million contract, I mean, that really, you start to kind of look at Taysom Hill's usage in 2022 to really see where where that extension is, you know, how that extension is impacting or how anyone's impacting that extension. But in, in terms of, you know, the, the foot injury and He's he's healthy enough to be the emergency backup quarterback for Trevor Simeon, but not healthy enough to play his standard uh, sort of slasher joker role. And and I guess to an extent I get that, but at the same time, I mean, doesn't he risk injury going in there as the backup quarterback as well? And if he's so close to re-injury, then why only have two quarterbacks active in that case, right? Because then you have Trevor Simeon who gets hurt, and then you have this apparently, you know, uh, this apparently re-injurable Taysom Hill that you're going to send out there as your quarterback with no third option active behind him. 
it, all of it was very, very strange, and it's still very confusing. And I think a lot of people are, are oversimplifying it in terms of the, you know, oh, well, he was healthy enough to do one thing, not healthy enough to do another, then what's the big deal? And I get it, but there's too many nuances beside that to to, to just kind of shrug off and, and, and not pay attention to, such as why not have Ian Book active? Why not have a third quarterback active if you're concerned about re-injury and if you're planning for emergency? And I also think a lot of people were going, hey, the Buffalo Bills are winning 24-0. to zero. Is that not emergency enough? Uh, which, of course, that's not really the emergency that they were planning for, but maybe one that, uh, that, they, that they could have reacted to. It's all right now. Rawls Jackson locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And just looking at the way things are now, I mean, Trevor Simeon just isn't working out the way we, we'd hoped. He had, that, he had a couple of really good games, but just, just the last two, he's kind of fallen apart. And you know you've got that extra time to kind of get ready for Thursday night against the Dallas Cowboys, who are kind of limping into this ball game as well. You just wonder, like, what's going to happen going forward with this quarterback position? Could we even see the dreaded Ian Book show up before the season's done? The dreaded Ian Book. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I think that there's a chance that you probably that you see Ian Book toward the end of the season if. The Saints have lost a couple more games, so if they get an opportunity to get a look at them and you know full speed and in regular season action and things like that, kind of learn what they have in him a little bit. But I would be surprised if Taysom Hill wasn't the starting quarterback moving forward, since apparently that's what the focus is with him right now is to to get him started at quarterback. Because I can't imagine any other reason that you would have been playing it safe with him these last couple of weeks, unless you were wanting to put him in as your starting quarterback moving forward. Um, I think the expectations on Trevor Simeon were too high. He's a third string quarterback and he's, you know, and he's a career backup, but you know, he's somebody that showed off some heroics in, in a couple of well-timed fourth quarters and made some well-timed plays toward the end of games when defenses started to soften and it created a bit of a, you know, a little bit of confidence around him. But I mean, all in all, he is out of all the quarterbacks that have attempted over a hundred passes. He's like the 33rd of, 40 some odd quarterbacks that qualify in terms of in terms of passing efficiency and when you take away the fourth quarter he's dead last in that category he is the least efficient quarterback in the NFL and so it's one of those situations where you look at what you know the way that he was able to boost his completion percentage the way that he was able to boost his yardage where he was able to boost his touchdown numbers things like that uh, in that fourth quarter his passer rating in the fourth quarter it was all garbage time and so I don't think the New Orleans Saints can live with that moving forward if they want to you know, continue to be competitive and, and win as many games as they can before the end of the season, then I think they have to make a change of quarterback. And, you know, when we talk about the Taysom Hill situation and, you know, obviously the $40 million deal over four years and there's a lot of incentives about him playing as starting quarterback, and it makes you wonder how much is that deal going to play into the conversation about keeping Jameis Winston around or is this a situation where now you pay him this $40 million you're going to move on from Jameis Winston, and now Sean Payton's just going to go ahead and go with his guy that he's wanted all along in your boy about Taysom Hill. Yeah, I don't know. I think that you know the $40 million is there if he plays the role that he's playing now, which is the Joker role, right? So I don't think that the $40 million deal has really any uh, standing in terms of what the New Orleans Saints do at quarterback beyond that. Uh, you know, it, the the big question is: Are they gonna are they gonna be willing to give him the opportunity to go out there and potentially make up to ninety five million dollars? And I don't think that there's anything that guarantees that at all. I think that 
it basically tells Taysom Hill, hey, you have a place for the next couple of years uh, because it's unlikely that he'll play out the entire four-year contract. And to me, and, and that's usually what we see in the NFL, usually a four-year deal is actually a two-year deal. You can kind of see that in this. There's an out after 2023 and all of that. So, you know, I don't think that this deal really keeps the Saints from being aggressive at quarterback. And I think they need to be aggressive at quarterback over the course of this offseason. So whether it's pursuing the trade for one of the big quarterback names that could potentially become a, uh, become available this offseason, or it's, you know, continuing on with Jameis Winston, who I think does deserve another shot and I don't think will be very expensive because, he didn't have a 300-yard passing game. He, you know, they haven't produced a 100-yard wide receiver or tight end at all yet so far this season. And you know, his his role was very much that of a game manager. And he's coming off. He's going to be coming off of an ACL tear. So by NFL standards, right? Not by New Orleans Saints fan standards, but by NFL standards, he didn't have a premier quarterback season at all. He had a better season than was expected, but he didn't have an opportunity to continue to grow into his role and really take off in this New Orleans Saints offense the way that folks expected him to. So he didn't really raise his status very much, in my opinion. So I don't think you're going to have a lot of competition to keep Jameis Winston around. And that's a good thing for the New Orleans Saints because I think you keep, you, you could benefit from bringing Jameis Winston back if you can't you know, land one of these big uh, other quarterbacks that might be in the conversation this offseason, and then you have your competition. But I think that you pretty much can move ahead with Jameis Winston if he's healthy. And the big thing about Taysom Hill is that even if he wins the starting quarterback position, he's not guaranteed $95 million. It's not like he wins a quarterback competition and then he gets another $55 million handed to him. He has to hit a ton of incentives. And then he has to hit a bunch of escalators, which aren't even guaranteed to be paid to him in non-guaranteed years. They could be pushed forward. They could be he could be cut before, or he could end his contract, however way that that might happen before those escalators ever pay out. Like it's not as dry cut or or as clean cut, excuse me, as either you make forty million dollars or you make ninety five million dollars. The guy could become the starting quarterback and make considerably less than that maximum amount. So I don't think there's anything here that guarantees that Taysom Hill is going to be the starting quarterback moving forward in the years beyond 2021. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road, and enjoy the rest of your weekend, dude. Absolutely, buddy. You too, man. All right, that was Ross Jackson. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show one final take, and then I'll go ahead and enjoy the rest of my weekend. Hopefully you do as well. You're listening to 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. The last take a half for the show today revolves around spring football. And they got just about one more chance to kind of get this thing set up, ready to go. And more importantly, they have to, and I mean have to, get this right. And of course, some of the USFL. The USFL is coming back, and they have a team in New Orleans. So the New Orleans Breakers are going to become the unofficial team of Under the Dome, a lot like the Houston Houston Roughnecks did for the XFL 2.0. For my sake, spring football needs to be a thing because I'm always going to support it. I'm going to support more football. 
So why not support something like this? And I just want it to succeed. Because if it doesn't, then I think it's officially going to be time to kind of kick that can down the road. But I'll catch you on down the road.